all the work that's gone into, into this week. And I know that Debbie has done a tremendous job as usual in trying to get everything together. And everything looks incredible. And hopefully and prayerfully we'll have a good number that will be here to learn more about Jesus. We're going to be looking tonight, the passage that was read a moment ago, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Tonight our subject, we want to focus our minds for a moment or two on the great example that Jesus has set before us. Tonight we're talking about the perfect example and how Jesus is the perfect example. Our goal is to be Christ-like in everything that we say and everything that we do. We want to model the life of Jesus. And the passage read a moment ago emphasizes that great truth. Peter would say that Jesus, or that Christ, has left us an example that we should follow in His steps. I think about the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Paul became a great servant of the Lord. And Paul would write to the church at Corinth, and he would encourage them with these words, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And so our goal is to be like Christ. He is our great example. And so tonight I want us to think about that for a moment or two. Before I do begin the lesson, I want to express appreciation to Jared for preaching this morning. I appreciate Jared and all that he does. Jared has a lot of talent. He does a lot of great things. He does a lot of things that many of you never hear about, you don't know anything about, but I promise you he's always doing something. And Jared has the heart of a servant. And I appreciate him very, very much, and I've learned much from him and appreciate his friendship. So tonight, as we think about our great example, that being Jesus Christ, I want to begin, and I want to just call attention to, to some traits that Jesus demonstrated and manifested in His life, and hopefully and prayerfully, we can develop these characteristics or traits in our own daily life. I want to begin by talking about the submissiveness of Jesus, and these are not in any particular order. I think that there are many, many traits that we could talk about. These are just some that will help us get started as we think about trying to become more like Christ, trying to emulate His behavior day in and day out. And you think about what a tall order that is. It's a tremendous ideal to be more like Christ. The song we sang a moment ago, Oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer. That's our goal. And the Lord Jesus has set the bar very high. And though that's the ideal, we tend to fall short of that. But it's our goal nonetheless. So tonight, let's think for a minute or two about, first and foremost, the submissiveness of Jesus. I want to call attention to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 5, Paul talks about having or developing the mind of Christ. And in that context, Paul sets forth some traits that Jesus demonstrated in his life. In verse 5, he said, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." First, I think about the submissiveness of Jesus. 
Jesus came to earth with a specific task, didn't he? And that is to comply with the will of the Father and to do the work of the Father. Jesus would say in John chapter 6, in about verse 38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father. Jesus came with a very specific task in mind, and that was to redeem the human family. In order to accomplish that, he had to subjugate his will to the Father's will, didn't he? Paul here talks about Jesus becoming obedient unto death. Yes, even the death of the cross. And you think about how he agonized over the cross. In Luke chapter 22, we read of Jesus lifting up prayers to the Father as he approached the cross. And you remember three times Jesus would say to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. Again, submitting his will to the will of the Father. In that context, the Bible tells us in verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. The Lord Jesus agonized over the cross. He understood the importance of the cross. He understood the ideal of the cross. Do you remember in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, the writer quotes Psalm 40, and that is a messianic psalm. The psalmist there said, and Jesus, of course, makes application to his own life. He said, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I come, O Lord, to do your will, O God. The Lord Jesus came to do the will of God the Father. And so he was submissive in his nature. I think about the words of the Hebrew writer in chapter 5 in verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus demonstrated an obedient life from start to finish, didn't he? So what about us today? We talk about trying to become more like Jesus. One of the real difficulties in life is learning to subjugate our will to his will. Do you remember Jesus during his earthly ministry in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24? We talk about the prerequisite to discipleship is becoming selfless in nature. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. A willingness to empty ourselves in favor of becoming obedient to his will. And so there is a great emphasis in Scripture on those of us who identify ourselves with the Lord as being obedient unto him. In Matthew chapter 7, in what has been called the great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but now note, but those who do the will of our Father which is in heaven. That's the desire. And that is to comply with the wishes and the will of God the Father. Now you look at Jesus. I mentioned a moment ago how Jesus agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane. In John chapter 17 and verse 4, Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth. He said, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. The Lord Jesus acknowledging the fact that he had been submissive to the will of the Father. And so on Calvary, what would Jesus say? It is finished. I mentioned a moment ago, Matthew chapter 7. You turn to the very last chapter of 
in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 22. The last chapter, the last inspired writer, the Apostle John, penned these words. In verse 14 he said, Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. Again, emphasis on obedience. Where did we learn that? From the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't we? So we talk about trying to become more like Christ. One of the ways that we become more like Jesus is by demonstrating a heart of submission. Jesus asked the the question on one occasion, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If we love the Lord, we'll do His commandments, won't we? That's what He said in John chapter 14. So we demonstrate our love and our loyalty to the Lord by being submissive to His will. There's a second thing I want to call attention to. First, we talk about the submissiveness of Jesus. But then secondly, the servant Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ typified servanthood throughout His life, didn't He? As a matter of fact, listen again to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Now note, taking the form of a servant. Imagine that. The divine Son of God coming to earth, tabernacling in human flesh, giving up the glory that He enjoyed with the Father in heaven, coming to earth and becoming a servant. Jesus lived to serve, didn't He? Paul said that He took the form of a servant. I think it's interesting in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, when Paul begins his introduction to the church at Philippi, he writes on behalf of himself and Timothy, his co-laborer in the Lord. He identifies them both as servants. Paul learned to be a servant of the Lord, didn't he? He could look at Jesus as the great example. He could write about Jesus, the servant. And you look at the life of Jesus. He was selfless in every respect of the word, wasn't he? Paul said he emptied himself. He divested himself of all the glories of heaven, came to earth, robed in human flesh, and served the human family. The Bible talks a lot about the servanthood of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but rather to serve and to give Himself as a ransom for the many. If you had the opportunity to talk to Jesus and ask Him, okay, Lord, what's your life all about? You know what He would have said? It's about serving the human family. Look, He came to serve all of us. The Lord Jesus Christ, think about the multitudes of people that the Lord served throughout His tenure here upon planet Earth. Go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see how he interacted with multitudes of people, throngs of people. The Lord Jesus, what did he do? He healed the sick, cast out demons, gave sight to those who were blind, gave hearing to those who couldn't hear. The Bible talks about how the Lord Jesus Christ 
demonstrated compassion towards people in the human family, towards people who made up the human family. I can't help but think about it in Mark chapter 1, that leper who had been an outcast, ostracized by friends and family members. They were labeled as unclean. And you remember the Bible tells us that this leper came to Jesus, kneeled before Him, and He said, Lord, if You're willing, You can make me clean. And what does the Bible say? The Lord put forth His hand and touched Him and said, I'm willing, be clean. An act of service, an act of kindness. That was what the Lord was all about, wasn't it? Serving the human family. Think about John chapter 4 when Jesus had that encounter with the Samaritan woman. Samaritans were considered by Jews as half-breeds. The Samaritan people were looked down upon by Jews. As a matter of fact, John tells us that the Samaritans had no dealings with the Jews. And yet Jesus did. Jesus sought to serve her and to bring her face to face with the opportunity to enjoy eternal life. Do you remember the woman taken in adultery in John chapter 8? Those who brought her before Jesus, they weren't interested in her spiritual well-being. Really, they were trying to entrap Jesus. But Jesus made a difference in her life, didn't He? What about Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19? When Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming to town, the Bible says he climbed up in, into a sycamore tree so that he might get a glimpse of him. When the Lord saw him in that sycamore tree, Luke tells us that he said to Zacchaeus, Make haste and come down, for today I must abide in your house. The Lord Jesus brought salvation to the household of Zacchaeus. John chapter 13 before Jesus went to the cross, in the shadow of the cross, as we might say, the Bible tells us that Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, demonstrating for them the importance of serving one another. So, what about us by way of application? Are we not to be servants of the Lord? Aren't we to be about serving in the kingdom of God? Do you remember in Matthew chapter 25? Jesus there pictures that great and final day of judgment. He said, when He is seated upon the throne of His glory, all nations will be brought before Him. He'll say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. For I was hungry, and what did you do? Jesus said, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, and you gave me something to wear. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was sick and in prison, and you visited me. What were they doing? They were serving the Lord. We have the opportunity to serve the Lord day in, day out. You remember last week we talked about some ways that we can serve the Lord? One way, to teach someone. Another way, restore someone. Another way, pray for someone. Another way, encourage someone. Another way, help someone. We're all about servanthood. That's what we're supposed to be about. The church of Christ ought to be about servanthood. And so Jesus was the great example of servanthood. Let me give you another attribute of Jesus. We talk about the submissiveness of Jesus, and then I think about the servant Jesus but then also the sacrificial Jesus. 
Again, Philippians chapter 2, the Bible tells us that Jesus made himself of no reputation, but rather he took the form of a servant and came in the likeness of men. Have you ever paused to think about the depth of sacrifice that Jesus made for us in leaving heaven? I mean, imagine leaving the glory of heaven, the grandeur of heaven, that timeless association that He had enjoyed with the Father. And now He comes to planet earth. He comes as a man with a mission to seek and to save the lost. He has come to fulfill the will of Almighty God. That will summed up by Peter in the long ago when Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 that we have not been redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but rather with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, without blemish, who verily was foreordained before the world began, but was manifest in these last times for you. Now think about that for a minute. God in His infinite wisdom, before He ever laid the foundations of the world, before He ever created man, recognized that in creating man, endowing him with the ability to make choices in life, that man, given that privilege, would ultimately make the wrong choices in life, thereby bringing sin into the world, alienating himself from his Creator. And so God, in his wisdom, had a plan in place. So when Adam and Eve transgressed in the Garden of Eden, what did God do? Immediately announced that promised seed in Genesis 3, verse 15. And from that time forward, we have the great prophets of God unveiling this redemptive plan. Bit by bit, piece by piece. And the Old Testament is the unfolding of God's redemptive plan for the human family. And guess what? It all revolved around one person. That one person, Jesus, the Son of God. Didn't Jesus say, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life? Didn't Paul write, but God commends His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? The depth of that sacrifice. Paul said, you've heard of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He were rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might be made rich. Jesus sacrificed His body for us. The passage Tim read a moment ago, 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter said that Jesus bore our sins in His body on the cross, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. Now think about that for a minute. The sinless Lamb of God sacrificially laid down His life for us. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, when he talks about the Lord's Supper, quotes the Lord Jesus. When Jesus said, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Jesus sacrificed His body for us. Not only did He sacrifice His body for us, but He shed His blood for our sins, didn't He? John 19, verses 34 and 35, you remember the Roman soldier 
who thrust that spear into the side of Jesus? The Bible says, blood and water came forth. Jesus paid the ultimate price. As Peter said, we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, said that it is in Him that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So the Lord Jesus Christ was sacrificial. How does that relate to us today? Are we not called upon to make sacrifices for the cause of Christ? Just a moment ago I referenced Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you remember the Apostle Paul in writing to the church at Philippi in chapter 3? Listen to him, if you would, over in chapter 3, in verse 7. Paul said, What things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Could I ask tonight, what have you sacrificed for the cause of Christ? Are we not called upon to sacrifice our time for the cause? Didn't Paul say that we're to redeem the time because the days are evil? Are we not stewards of the time that we possess? Think about your life. The psalmist said we might live to be 70 or 80 years of time. But he said, it is soon cut off when we fly away. So in verse 12, Psalm 90, the psalmist said, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. To understand something about sacrificing our precious... Look, everybody, everybody's busy in the world. We've all got commitments and obligations. We've got responsibilities. But the bottom line is, we've got to use some of that precious time for the cause of Christ, don't we? So we talk about sacrificing our time. What about our talents? And when I look around in this building and I, th I look at these palm trees, I said a moment ago, what an ingenious idea. Incredible. All of the talent that is pulled together in a congregation of God's people. To use our talents to teach, to preach, to lead singing, to be involved in the day-to-day -day affairs of the kingdom of God. I mean, think of the talent that God has blessed you with. You have unique talents. There are things that you can do that I could never dream of doing. You have certain abilities that I could only hope to have in my lifetime. Sometimes I stand in awe of the tremendous ability of other people. We've got some of the most talented people anywhere right here. And to think about using those talents for the cause of Christ. So sacrificing our time, sacrificing our talents. What about sacrificing our treasures for the Lord? You know, one of the responsibilities we have every first day of the week Paul instructed in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 for us to lay by in store. 
In other words, we give of our monetary means. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. And the Bible tells us, as we have prospered, we give. Some of you have been blessed monetarily, and you've helped others in a great way. Some have sacrificed incredibly financially for the cause of Christ. I remember reading about the late A.M. Burton. Brother Burton was a tremendous businessman. He owned the Life and Casualty Company in Nashville, Tennessee. One of the buildings on the, Lip, on the Lipscomb campus bears his name. I took many classes in that, in that, in that building, the Burton Building. Brother Burton left a parcel of land in Green Hills. If you know anything about Green Hills in Nashville, you know that that land is probably gold today. The land that he left many years ago when I was in school was sold for $15, $16, million, $18 million. I don't remember exactly. Brother Burton gave away 90% of everything he made gave it back to the cause. Why did he do that? He understood something about sacrifice, didn't he? Let me share with you another attribute of Jesus. The supplications of Jesus. Jesus understood something about the place of prayer in life. Someone has said that there are about 14 prayers, if you count them, in the Gospel records of Jesus praying to the Father. In the Gospel of Luke, significant attention is given to the prayers of Jesus. Look at His life. The Lord Jesus spent a lot of time praying to the Father, didn't He? In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we read of Jesus rising early in the morning, going out into a solitary place, and the Bible says, there He prayed to God. In Luke chapter 5, in verse 16, we read of Jesus withdrawing into the wilderness for the purpose of praying. And I gather from that text, this was something that Jesus did quite often in life. In chapter 6, verse 12, before He selected the apostles, do you know what He did? The Bible tells us He spent the night, the entirety of the night, in prayer to the Father. And then in Gethsemane, here is Jesus pouring out His heart to the Father, wrestling with the cross that lay before Him. Jesus understood something about the place for prayer in life, and not just the place for prayer in life, but I believe He understood something about the power of prayer in life. Do you remember the Hebrew writer saying that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto Him who was able to save Him from death. And the Bible says, and He was heard and that He feared. If the Lord Jesus, and He was the Son of God, if He spent a lot of time in prayer daily to the Father, then what's that say to us? Don't you think that that says that as we navigate our way through life, we ought to spend a lot of time in, pray, in prayer. Was it not Jesus who said in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, that men ought to always pray and not faint? 
not grow discouraged. Look, life is tough, isn't it? And you think about some of the countless decisions that you have to make in life, and you're trying to navigate your way through life. And sometimes life can be so complex and so difficult. Sometimes we become discouraged, despondent. There are times in life when things are not going as planned. And so what, what should we do? Pray. Can't we pray to God for guidance? Didn't James say in the long ago, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally? We have knowledge, but we want wisdom so that we can apply that knowledge. Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And listen, He will direct your paths. Spend time in prayer to God. Look to God for guidance and strength. Again, I think about Jesus in Gethsemane. And the Bible says, being in agony, He prayed more earnestly. When life is tough, when life has thrown you a curveball, and when things are not going your way, what should you do? Pray. Jesus prayed. Is there power in prayer? Listen to James. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There's power in prayer. The Lord Jesus knew something about that, didn't He? And so, to step back and to realize the blessings of prayer. One final thing, and that is the sympathy of Jesus. Jesus had the ability to demonstrate a sympathetic heart toward others, didn't He? In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the Bible tells us, we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. In other words, Jesus has the ability to sympathize, to feel with what we're faced with in life. I think sometimes we forget that the Lord Jesus Christ is a sympathetic Savior. If someone were to ask you tonight, does the Lord care about you, what would you say? We talk about the sympathy of Jesus. And the word sympathy in Hebrews chapter 4 simply means to feel with, to have compassion. The Lord Jesus has the ability to feel what you're experiencing in life, doesn't He? He has been here. He has been tempted. He's been tried. He has been tortured. He's faced trials and tribulations. He's faced all of the things that we faced here on planet Earth, yet without sin. And so, again, does Jesus care? Yes, He does. How do I know that? Well, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible says, casting all your care on Him. And why is that? For He cares for you. So the Lord cares about us, and then the Lord has compassion toward us. I mentioned just a moment ago, Mark chapter 1, when that leper came to Jesus and kneeled down before him. And here's a guy who has been an outcast in society. You think anybody wanted anything to do with him? Absolutely not. Friends, family members, look, this guy was unclean. 
Leprosy was a dreaded disease. This fellow knew something about the compassionate nature of Jesus. And so he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Mark said that Jesus was moved with compassion. When you're hurting in life, when your life has turned literally upside down, things aren't going as planned, is there a God in heaven who cares? Yes. Is there a Lord in heaven who has compassion? Again, the answer is yes. So, what about us? Shouldn't we be compassionate towards one another? There are some people in the world, there are some people in the church who are hurting. And there are people that have experienced some difficult times in life. And it might be the case that you are the one person that has experienced in the past what they are facing today. You have buried a child. You have lost a mate. You have been rejected by a friend or family member. You've lost a job. You've faced some difficult times. And so when you stand in the presence of somebody who's facing some tough times, you can say, look, I know what you're going through. I feel for you because I've been there. That's a tremendous blessing, isn't it? It's a great encouragement. I want to close tonight by encouraging all of us. I said a moment ago, the bar is high. And the Lord Jesus Christ is our great example. Let's do our best to try to follow in His footsteps. I don't think they make those shoes anymore. Big shoes to fill. But we want to follow in His footsteps, don't we? If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to come to Christ believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Recognizing that He is the pathway to peace in life. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, you would be willing to repent of your sins, confess His name, be buried with Him in baptism. The Bible assures you, He assures all of us, that God will wash away all your sins, Acts 22, 16. He'll put you in the church, Acts 2, 47. If you'll be faithful until death, He'll give you a crown of life, Revelation 2, 10. If you're here tonight and maybe your life's not going as planned, Maybe at one time you'd been faithful for whatever reason. You're not faithful today. You want to be back in fellowship with God. Could we pray with you? Could we pray for you? James said, confess your sins one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to do that for you tonight and with you as we stand and sing.